I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Hosea. I think it's an important book, especially as it relates to the condition of our country today. I will add a little something in the end that will, I think, help all of us in where the Lord is um, leading us as we go through this series together. We started a new series last week called Recovery Road from the book of, of Hosea. And if you were here with us last week, you found Hosea is one of those shocker books that when you read the content of what's in it, you're like, I can't believe this story is in the Bible. <laughs> this is, this kind of blows you away. It just the, uh, the depth that God is going to communicate his message of, of love and grace to us as people. And we, we said last week, if you think about the book of, of Hosea, it's really a picture of God's plan for humanity, for us as people coming to uh, know him and in, enjoy him. And uh, the, the, the Bible has this theme that carries itself throughout all of scripture that God created us in his image, that we could connect to him as created beings made in his image and enjoy his presence for all of eternity. But after God creates us, we see in the garden, Adam and Eve, what they call, theologians call as the fall, which I think is one of the greatest understatements um, in theology. It's, it's more drastic than a fall, but it's sin and it separates us from God. And from that point, man has tried to reconcile that. But what we find in scripture is that it's impossible apart from the grace of God. And God, I'm going to line this up straight, sorry. God gives us a, a plan of redemption. And that's the whole point of Jesus. God gives us a plan of redemption to, to bring us back to him and ultimately restores what we lost in the garden from sin. And so we find restoration. And so the book of the, the, the Bible creates a picture of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And Hosea is a picture of that. And as we go through this message today, I want to, want to know, typically when I go through a um, section of scripture, what I like to do is explain the text to make application for our lives. I'm actually going to do the reverse of that today, but I want, I want us to have a sort of a target on our mind as to the significance of where we're going together. Hosea chapter 14, the end of the book, if I were to give you a theme verse on what Hosea is about, I think it's the first four verses of chapter 14, which is the last, the, the, the last chapter in the book of Hosea. And so this is where we're going together. This puts a, a picture on our minds, a goal of, of what we want to accomplish today, but it's says this, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And you think about the context of this passage as we've entered in it, into it together, that this has taken place around 720 BC. This is when the northern tribes of Israel have separated from the southern tribes of Israel. Uh, that we, we said in the beginning that God created kings in Israel. There were three kings that led Israel unified. And after those three kings, Solomon being the last, Israel divided. Ten tribes went to the north, often referred to as the tribes of Ephraim. Two tribes went to the south, often referred to as the tribes of Judah. And from the north, there had, was never a, another godly king to lead Israel. They're all ungodly kings. And Hosea's message is predominantly to the northern tribes of Israel, though it relates to all of Israel, calling them back to him. And so you see in this chapter, this call of returning in chapter 14, and we'll lay out why it's significant as we get towards the end. But this is what God's desire is for Israel. And it becomes an illustration for all of God's people. But what you find as you look at the story of Hosea, you look at the beginning of God's creation for us as individuals, when man was created, we were secure. Secure in Christ, secure in future, secure in relationship. But when mankind fell, we were no longer secure rather insecure. 
In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell, we we find that they try to fill or satisfy their insecurity with things that were broken, things that could not satisfy. Immediately as soon as Adam and Eve sin, having that security removed from them, it tells us that they run and they hide. They try to clothe themselves. They create the first man-made religion you find in the text of scripture. I don't have time to dive into that, but that's what they do. They, they hide. They try to cover up their, their insecurity. They create religion to try to, to, to create that sense of security. And when God finds them in the garden, then they begin the blame game towards each other as to what went wrong so they can find security in other people's faults rather than themselves. But the truth is all of us deal with insecurity. It's a result of the fall. Physical insecurity, something that you would change about yourself, mental insecurity, maybe you struggle with memory or emotional insecurity. Ask the question, am I lovable? Financial insecurity, or how about spiritual insecurity, wondering if if God would accept you? All of us struggle with insecurity. And in order to recognize that within our lives, I I think in the book of Hosea, we see it predominantly played out in in the life of Gomer as, as Hosea is called by God to to deliver a particular message, but the way that God chooses to deliver this message is in such a way that Israel is in a place where they're spiritually lulled into sleep. We said in 720 BC, this is, this is the, the, the pinnacle of the northern tribes of Israel. They, in comparison to other nations, do not lack. They're satisfied with where they are. They, they, they're content with life. They don't recognize their own depravity and their need for God. And so in that situation, God uses Hosea to, to preach a particular message that would shock the people, penetrate their hearts, and awaken them to their need for God. And so what God chooses to do Through Hosea, it tells us in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that he calls Hosea to marry a harlot or a prostitute. And why does does God choose Hosea to marry a harlot or a prostitute? Well, we've said, one, it was intended to shock us. It wakes us in, in the lulling of our own insecurities, of our need for God. And so God chooses this holy man to, to enter into a relationship with maybe an unholy situation in order to shock Israel to recognize their need for God. Because Hosea's life becomes a living example of Israel's relationship to the Lord. And so one, it was intended to shock us. But two... And further understanding of what the word harlotry represents for Israel, this word for harlotry was often in Israel's time looked at as an interchangeable word for the word of idolatry. In, in, in the time of Israel, the, in, in worshiping of Baal, the, the people would often engage into temple prostitution. And so the idea of the word idolatry became synonymous with the, the thought of, of harlotry. And so by picking one in, in the, in, engaged in idolatry or in harlotry, it's pointing out to Israel their idolatry in their relationship with God. And what you see in the Garden of Eden is that even for Adam and Eve, that what led to their idolatry was really the sense of lack of security in their lives. They, they pursued other things. They covered themselves up. They tried in their own efforts to create their own religion to find, God, find themselves satisfied with what they lost. And in their insecurity, it leads to idolatry. 
And what you see in the story of, uh, of Hosea in the Garden of Eden, that security and identity is powerful. Understanding who you are and finding security in the identity that you have in Christ. Because we as people, when our identity is broken, our lives are broken. And when we feel insecure, or when we live in that insecurity, I think for us, two things become true. One is, in insecurity, it will lead you where you do not belong. And in insecurity, it will keep you from where you are called to be. We talk about insecurity leading us where we do not belong. You think about uh, examples in life. I think when we live in insecurity and it leading us to where we do not belong becomes the explanation why, why women end up in the arms of men they have no sense in being with. Why guys seek to conquer women as if it's some sort of accomplishment. Maybe even why uh, you shop to satisfy or, or maybe why it's, it's the reason why some people put their, their fists through the wall as if to gain control of a situation in which they're really out of control of. It comes from a sense of insecurity, not understanding the identity in which you have created in God's image. Insecurity will lead you where you do not belong. And it will also keep you from where you're called to be. I think insecurity eliminates opportunity. See, when, when God calls you and God uh, identifies you in him, makes you a new creation, he tells us in Ephesians 1, he gives you every spiritual blessing. That what he does for the believer is he gives us, a, he, we become a, a child of God in Christ. He gives us a, a, a new family that we belong to, a, a new kingdom for which we live in. And, and when we, we live outside of that and in insecurity of out, apart from Christ and what God has identified with, with us in him, that, that what we try to do is validate ourselves rather than rest in his presence and what he has associated with us. And so in that Insecurity keeps us from where we're called to be. Rather than live out where you are in Jesus, you become competitive to prove your worth. Or you come, become combative to defend whatever insecurity you hold on to or complain with what you don't have that keeps you from where you think that you need to be. It eliminates opportunity. I even think it relates to our own relationship in God and how we live it out in this world, right? We see the significance of who Jesus is in our hearts and in our lives. But when it comes to share that, the insecurity of, uh, of just communicating that with other people keeps us from where God might lead us. I think insecurity is something not, not just unbelievers wrestle with, but also believers you see, in the story of Gomer, she's representing the nation of Israel to God and in coming into relationship with Hosea and marrying Hosea, her past begins to, to rob her of her future. I think Christians can even do this. You get so stuck in sin and the insecurity of it that you don't even feel the strength to get up and continue on. What you find in Christ is that right identity 
leads to security. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse five, it, it tells us to take every thought captive in Jesus. Meaning there is a war waging within us apart from Christ that would lead us in other directions, trying to find satisfaction in things that do not satisfy. It may, it may temporarily please, but ultimately does not satisfy. And learning in the mind to, to retrain the mind, to take everything captive for the cause of Christ. In fact, Romans 12 tells us to renew our minds in the things of God that we may prove what the will of God is. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 that, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Meaning wherever you go, you and God are always a majority. And when it comes to identifying yourself in Christ apart from other things, finding security in him, I think our identity is important to recognize that, that you, you do not find your identity in your inability nor your capability. but you always are who you are by the grace of God. So the problem, I think in recognizing the insecurity that existed in the Garden of Eden is that finding identity in insecurity will lead to instability in your walk with God. What happens in the midst of those challenges in our lives is that we get so focused on what's wrong with us that we cannot focus on what's right with Jesus. We get so absorbed of thinking about where we fell that we refuse to look at where Jesus succeeds. But when we're secure in Christ, we're able to look beyond ourselves and look at the hope of what Jesus brings to us. And that's where I'm going to pick up this morning in Hosea chapter 2. And so if you flip over there for just a moment, Hosea chapter 2 then gives us the backdrop to what I just explained to us this morning as it relates to security and insecurity in our walk with God. When you look at the story of Hosea marrying Gomer, called by God, Hosea to, to marry a prostitute, it's been said categorically uh, about Hosea, about this book, that Hosea is described as the greatest lover to ever live. And the reason God chooses Hosea to demonstrate this type of love is because in him, he is the example of God's love towards us. And the reason God wants to declare this to Israel is because I, I said this last week, for us as people, oftentimes the Bible says things for us as people because the antithesis of, of those statements are often what we believe in our heart. For instance, the love of God. Repeatedly throughout scripture, God declares for us his love. And as human beings, you know how significant that is to your own life and, and even thinking about relationships that are close to you. We used the example of, of husband and wife last week. I mean, no one in here would say this about their spouse, that when you got together at the very beginning, you used the L word for the first time, right? I love you. I hope they say it back, right? You just let that out there in space. You said the L word, but after that point, you didn't look at each other and be like, yeah, you said it to me once 34 years ago, so I still believe it today, right? No. 
I mean, that's a word as you, as you begin to experience that relationship and you go deeper in that relationship with each other that you, you continue to, to exercise the use of that word just to lavish on one another, to remind one another of where your heart is toward each other. Because we wrestle with insecurity. And I think the demonstration of Hosea in relating to God here is, is a pronouncement to us, a continual reminder of where God stands in connection to you and, and no matter where you are in this world. And so Kyle, Kyle Yates, he wrote this about uh, this passage or this, this chapter of the Bible. He says, Hosea takes his place among the greatest lovers of all ages. His love was so strong that the vilest behavior could not dull it. Gomer broke his heart. She made it possible for him to give to the world the picture of the heart of the divine lover. This book of Hosea, in fact, is written as a poem. You think about, man, you really want to get loving towards your wife. You got to whip out the roses are red and the violets are blue, you know? Poetry is the love language. And how fitting when God chooses Hosea as an example of his love towards us, that Hosea illustrates the love of God in poetic form towards Gomer, his wife. And when you look at this passage in chapter 2, beginning in verse 14 on to verse 23, this section of scripture talks about the restoration of Israel in God. But God gives five points of of reminding Israel of of where uh, his heart is towards them. Chapter 2, we, we, we didn't read all of chapter 2, but if you look at the first half, verses 1 to 13, it's the judgment of the unfaithfulness or the condemnation that, that Gomer's facing and Israel's facing because of the rejection of God. But then you see in verse 14, it flips and begins to talk about God's statement towards Israel and where he feels or how he feels towards these people. In verse 14, he says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. God's statements from verse 14 to verse 23 are are statements of um, I wills. You consider Gomer in this position, a place that we've maybe all been where you feel like a failure, you can't hold your head up, you wonder if you can be loved. And then God comes in after declaring all that, that Gomer has done in, in the beginning of chapter 2. And he says, this, this is where you are. This is your heart towards me. This, this is where you've sinned. But I want you to know where I am. And he gives these proclamations of his position towards the people of Israel in their failures. And the first thing that God says to Israel is something maybe we would all think in that insecurity of ourself, wondering, uh, trying to find something that satisfies, something that validates us, something that proves our worth, having lost it in idolatry, now looking for other places. Will God accept me? How How will God respond? And the Lord says this, rather than come to Gomer with a heavy hand, he says, I will allure her, which is another word for wooing. 
God wants to, to lavish on Israel, on Gomer, his love. He's not crushing, but he's, he's bringing about the idea of healing. And it says in verse 15, then I will give her vineyards from there in the valley of Accor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. What is that talking about? <laughs> Well, the Valley of Accor to the people of Israel was a place of judgment, a place of sin, a place they wanted to forget. But what it's saying in, in verse 15 is that, that what God wants to do in recognizing that Israel has, has left God, that God wants to bring them back to this place where, where they were able to sing fresh when the days when they were young and their youth. And they want, he wants to take this place that, that they've learned to feel judgment in, and he wants to turn the tables on that to where they, they learn to sing songs of praise before God's presence because of the love that he's demonstrated towards them. A place of darkness. God rather wants to, to bring Israel back into the wilderness where they walked with him in the beginning when he brought them out of slavery. And the places where they made sin against God or mistake and saw destruction, God wants to write it new on their heart. In verse 16 and 17, then he says this, and it will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi. And will no longer call me Baali. For I'll remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. And what God's pointing out to Israel in this section of scripture is that there is this war that's going on between them and what they're recognizing as Lord and where they're finding satisfaction between uh, the false God of Baal or the Lord himself. Ishi is this word for husband, and, and Baali is this word uh, for master. It's to recognize the false god of Baal. And he's saying, I want to remove that from your life, and all, all I want you to have is me as your husband. He says, I will allure her. I will give to you. And I will take away. The next thing God says in verses 18 and 19 then is this, in that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the bird of the sky, the creeping things on the ground. I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land and I will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What it's talking about here is the idea of the new covenant. God's desire is to restore Israel. And look what it's in this passage of scripture. It's literally God in, in establishing this, this covenant with them. He, he speaks to the earth and the earth responds. And, and from that, the, the earth uh, begins to supply for, for God's people. It's this, this singing back and forth. And, and for the whole purpose of bringing his bride into this beautiful place to enjoy him. And the things that he sows into that relationship, look what it says righteousness and justice and loving kindness and compassion and, and, and faithfulness. 
if I were to point in this passage, I would say to us this this longing for security in, in the midst of insecurity from the loss that we experienced in the garden of the fall and sin. God is sowing into relationship those things that continue to build what promotes security together and finding trust in him. And the last thing he says then, in verse 21, it will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain, to the new wine and to the oil and they will respond to Jezreel and I will sow her for myself in the land and I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion and I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people and they will say, you are my God. What happens in this passage should remind you of what we discussed last week when we looked at chapter 1 verses, verses 5 and on. You remember within, within the context of, of chapter 1 when God calls Hosea to, to marry Gomer. He, he calls them to name their children specific names. He tells Gomer, okay, when you have uh, children, or when you have children, these are the specific names I want you to give because it's going to be an illustration of your relationship to me. And so what he says in this passage of scripture, he says, call Jezreel, which we said means judgment. I'm going to explain that a little deeper t- today. And then he says, next kid, call them no mercy. And the last kid, call them not my people. When he named Jezreel, he said, the reason I want you to call him Jezreel is because of what happens in the house of Jehu, which is an illustration in Israel's past in verse 5, chapter 1. Jehu uh, brought judgment in the place of Jezreel uh, in Israel's history. And so the name Jezreel literally means God sows. And because he attached that name to what took place with Jehu, it's talking about God sowing judgment. And so he's allowing Israel in that harlotry to contemplate those names. If you ever met a family that just might shock you. <laughs> Hi, it's nice to meet you, <laughs> right? And tell us about yourself. <laughs> well, we're in the prostitution business and uh, these are our kids. Uh, not my child and no mercy and judgment time. Like, you'd be like that. I mean, some of us, you may struggle with remembering names of new people, but I, I can guarantee no one would forget that here, right? I mean, those would be the names. That, I mean, you would tell her Facebook, social media, whatever, everyone would need to know. Can I, can I get a picture with you guys? <laughs> I cannot. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so God's doing that with Israel to shock them in these moments because he wants to lead them to this passage in the scripture. It's as if to say, if this story connects to them, let, let, me, let me now connect it to you. Look, if God can love Gomer, if God can be unconditional and sacrificial towards her, God can love anyone, right? There's no one out of the reach of his love. There's no one that can't experience the security that comes with your identity in Christ. And I think all of the story that he began in chapter one culminates itself at the end of chapter two. When he says these words now of Jezreel. At the end of verse two, then he brings up the word Jezreel again, which means God sows. But this time, rather than associating it with Jehu, which would mean judgment, 
he now talks about what he wants to sow in his life because of his presence in yours. He's sowing this to you. And so he says, remember, I will sow her for myself in the land. And I'll have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So for Gomer, for these children, their identity brought insecurity. Not my people. No mercy. But with Jesus, they find security in becoming his people with mercy. This phrase becomes so important in Scripture that, in fact, it's, it's even mentioned in the New Testament. It's quoted in the New Testament. God broadens the scope here because in this story, it's, it's talking about the people of Israel and their relationship to the Lord. But Israel works as an illustration of all of God's people that would belong to him in the New Covenant. And so in Romans chapter 9, verses 25, verse 26, Paul quotes this passage of Scripture as if saying to all of us, this becomes our identity from the Garden of Eden. There was insecurity in our walk with God because of the sin that had separated us from God and we pursued things to find our value in life because we're insecure as people in mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. There is insecurity in all of us. But that security is designed to be found in God. And if you're asking the question, how will God approach me if I were to pursue him? Should I, as Adam and Eve, run and hide? Should I cover myself? Should I prove my worth to God? And the statement of chapter two is no. No, in fact, God allures your, you. He writes the poetry of a lover's heart to you. And he gives to you those sins in your past from the valley of Accor that, that you can't get rid of. He brings you into the wilderness of those places that have marred your life in, in that insecurity. And he brings you new security in him. And he refreshes those memories of old that were of sin. And he makes them new in him. And he takes them away, those false gods. And he gives you a new name, calling him your husband. And he betroths you to him. And he sows you an identity and relationship. You become his people in mercy quoted to the New Testament. Bringing us to the theme of chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. God, do you love me? God, do you care about me? God, do you know what I've done? Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Verse four, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. When you think about the book of Hosea and what it represents, the key word throughout all of Hosea is the word returned. 24 times within the the 14 chapters, this this calling is, is placed before the people of Israel. And it's calling us to return to him, recognizing we are insecure. 
And when we as people are insecure in our, our positions, two things happen within our lives. It, 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 it leads us where we don't belong. And it keeps us from where we're called to be. The challenges, the pressure of even validating yourselves to look at other people to see, see if you're better than them in order to, to find security. All of, us, all of us wrestle with some form of insecurity in our lives, but in Jesus, this is what we find. It's okay to be insecure. We were never intended to find the security for which we were created to have within ourselves. It's always been found not in other things, but in Christ who loves you, who welcomes us in our brokenness, who allures us into the wilderness to recognize that it's okay to not be okay because in the places of accord, he gives us strength and makes all things new. And rather than look to self to satisfy, we try to fix it. But God himself is the giver of the strength that we need. Now let me relate all this politically. If you want to make direct application to even today, I think when people feel insecure, we have the tendency to go crazy. And it becomes divisive. Can I remind you this morning, church, no matter any political future of any place in your country, your security always belongs to Jesus. You always have hope. And in that, you can always walk confidently. And in the midst of people that struggle with insecurity, placing their hope in false things, it gives you the opportunity to point them to a greater hope in Christ. And seasons of uncertainty, there's always insecurity. But greater than that, there's Jesus. God's design for us as people is to shape our identity in him. That through that, we find the strength to live in this world as he's called us to live. Because the validation that we look for outside of self or even inside of self, they're, they're broken cisterns, never intended and designed for us to find our security within those things. The result of those and pursuing them it leads us to places we do not belong and keeps us from places we've been called to be. But Jesus, in seasons of uncertainty, there's always insecurity. But for us, there is Christ and the call for Hosea is for us to return to him. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.